everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today, because today we are returning to one of our favoritest series in fantasy. We are talking about the First Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. Now, within the First Law Trilogy, we have been doing these character profiles, which have been so much fun, by the way. I I, this is a chance for us to get deep into a specific character throughout their arc across the entire First Law trilogy. We've done Bias, we've done Logan Ninefingers, Sandin Galacta, the Dogman. We have done the Dogman, people. And now we are going to yet another POV character, Jazal. Yeah. This is going to be a really exciting one to get into, Charles. Mm-hmm. I think Jazal doesn't always get his due. as like I think he's an underrated character because he's a lot of people find him very unlikable. And I would mm-hmm. put myself in that category, too, of like, I think he's a really interesting character that Joe Abercrombie has written. And I enjoy reading about him. But he's... And we won't. We'll get into this with more nuance later. But uh, definitely, at least at first, he comes off extremely unlikable, narcissistic, and things like that. So people aren't always as passionate about Jazal as a character as maybe some of these other characters who are more likable than Jazal. Uh, so anyway, before we get too much into it, yeah, I do want to give my uh, spoiler warning which is that we'll be getting into the entirety of the First Law trilogy, the original trilogy, like Charles mentioned, uh, which takes us through Last Argument of Kings. So if you haven't read The Blade Itself, Before They're Hanged, and Last Argument of Kings, all by Joe Abercrombie, then now is a good time to turn this down in your headphones because we will not be holding back anything from that original trilogy we won't go beyond that in terms of uh, spoilers though so you're safe if you've read through last argument of kings very well said sir and we were working on like a tagline for the jazal character profile episode we've we've come up with taking it on the chin and i also have a b title that I want to float by you, which is uh, no choice at all. Uh, and the only reason I'm leaning away from that one was because that was always Logan's thing and would never reference Jazal, but I feel like it mirrors Jazal's arc really well. And I would argue that Jazal... Well, when I think Jazal, I think of mirrors. <laughs> yeah, <So>. right. <laughs> and I, I think Jazal mirrors Logan in a lot of ways, and this is kind of how I want to like frame our whole conversation as we go through Jazal's... Um, story 
is he's almost like the opposite of Logan, where Logan's a really likable guy, but when you study his character, there's some concerning things about him. And Giselle's kind of the reverse. He's a really unlikable guy, but when you look like take a deeper look into his character arc, there's actually some redeeming qualities about him. And that's what I want to kind of look at today. And I also want to look at how Abercrombie uses Giselle to subvert this idea of character growth in fantasy. I think you you nailed some great discussion topics there, Charles. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, yeah, I'm very excited to, get into this because I I think we're on a similar page to how we're conceptualizing Giselle as a character. Right. And we also haven't really gotten the chance to dive deep into fleshing out the the details of all of that. So I think this is, I don't know, I'm actually more excited than before now <laughs> that I'm hearing the way you're thinking about this because I think there's a lot to say. So absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, well, let's just get going right away it. with the blade itself, which opens, I believe. Well, it might open with Logan, but then it quickly cuts to Jazal gambling with his friends and just reveling in taking their money. He recognizes that some of them aren't as rich as others and might need the money more, but he just gets a big kick out of taking their money anyway because he's smarter than them or better at cards than them or whatever so that's how we get open to Jazal, and this is why i think he you know he didn't do as well on our polls as the dog man did people tend to <laughs> like you know Jazal least and these are valid reasons why he's an unlikable guy right off the bat we get full-on hit with the fact that he is just reveling and taking money from his friends right and i think this will come up a lot that just Jazal is a jerk at yeah. the start. He is narcissistic. He's a jerk. He's all these things we don't like about him at the start of the First Law trilogy. And people's reactions to thinking, what, this guy's a jerk, aren't we? So, like, this is our young male protagonist type. Shouldn't he be? And he's noble and all these things. Like, And by that, we don't mean noble in the sense of a characteristic of a character that shows virtues we mean it literally he's a noble in the sense of he's higher up in the way this society works and he is just being unnecessarily mean i guess for lack of a better way of putting it uh, to people who he sort of thinks of as his friends and think of him as their friends and of course, the way that people start reacting to Jazal when he's just trying to take advantage of people who have less than him yeah. is that like this guy is ridiculously privileged and he needs to like stop is kind of our reaction. Yeah. And I think this sets us up in a lot of ways where in a typical fantasy story, which is not usually what we get from Lord Grimdark Joe Abercrombie, we are at least thinking, okay, this guy's a jerk, he's privileged, he's all these things. So we would feel, if this was a Brandon Sanderson book, which, like, we love Brandon Sanderson's work, like, we've been very, uh, like, excited to talk about him recently. We did our Where to Start Brandon Sanderson episode recently, too. um, But Brandon Sanderson might 
be making you a promise here with a character like Jizal that this guy might start as a jerk in privilege, but I'm going to take him through a series of events that is going to help him check that privilege and start to become a better person. That's what we are expecting in a lot of fantasy stories. And I think that would be a reasonable thing when you are reading your first ever Joe Abercrombie book in The Blade itself to think that's the arc that we're setting up for a character like Jizal. And he's already setting us up for disappointment <laughs> where we know, you know, this is spoilers all the way through. We know that Jizal's not going to quite fulfill that arc in the way that uh, like Brandon Sanderson might write it if he was writing a character like that. And people can feel let down by that. Yeah, Abercrombie's definitely laying the foundation for Giselle's character arc with these character tropes that we all recognize of a, you know, privileged, uh, you know, unsensitive, like, kind of brazen character. And we are just not ready for where this is going to go. But he starts off unlikable and he earns it really well. And it's so interesting to see how instead of that, you know, vow of like, I'm good now ending, we get it's like, I'm kind of good now, but it doesn't really matter, which is so beautiful. And we're going to get into that. But first, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, we'll get into it when we get into it. We'll get into it. But first, we got to we got to be training for the contest. Yes. Right. And this is another thing where we get more insight into Giselle's vanity, where he's only doing this to gain fame and prestige and like his father kind of wants him to do it he wants to be better than his brothers which is another thing like just the idea of competing in the contest makes him better than his brothers who he's constantly in this like status rivalry with so it's fun to hear him and his reasons for doing things they're incredibly superficial and they just help build on this foundation of Jazal being this like unlikable arrogant ignorant uh, guy so th- that's all well and good until we uh meet uh, Artie. can you know? yeah can i say one more thing about the training for the contest before we get into Giselle's relationship with Artie, which is i think his ability and the way he treats that natural ability in oh, a lot yeah. of ways reflects his place in society here where Giselle is presented as ridiculously naturally talented at his sword play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got everything anyone could ever ask for in terms of his gifts, which he did nothing to earn. Yes. Much like how he's in a place in society where he did nothing to earn being a noble, though he, you know, if you ask Giselle, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he thinks, <laughs> I, I don't know if he, he would even really deserved. understand yeah. the question. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, of course I deserve it. I am it. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, and you get these places where it's bounced off of a character like West, who will basically say straight up to Giselle, like, if I had your talent, I imagine what I could have accomplished. I already won a contest, but... Like, you, Jazal, if I had what you had, I'd be, like, the best swordsman. He didn't say it in this way, but, like, I, he'd be, like, the best swordsman Yeah, that's true. Because Wes, paralleling him against Wes, it was so brilliant because Wes is the guy who pulled him up, himself up by his yeah. own bootstraps and rose to basically as high as his social status will allow him to go. And in some cases, even higher than that. So 
then you have him training with Jazal, who, like you said, has so many natural gifts. He's handsome. He's rich. He's got like this athletic prowess even without even yeah. having to try that hard. And he's just kind of coasting through and doing things because out of like family obligations or sibling rivalries. And that gets rubbed up against Wes, who watches him and is like so much wasted potential in this like spoiled brat, basically. Well said, Charles. And I mean, that continues when he meets Artie and becomes smitten with Artie. And he even, there's so many incredible lines in here from the narration about Giselle's interactions with Artie and comments about her being low birth and related to Wes and all these other things but he can't he can't help himself there's something about Artie that just keeps pulling him in yeah and Charles I don't know if your plan is to like take us in a more detailed way through the arc with Artie and the blade itself but mm-hmm. if we are I, I see it in the notes you wrote here you, you want to talk about this why does Giselle love Artie question. I feel I like do. I, yeah. And I have a quote that I feel like can, can pretty much, an, I mean, you know, it's all subjective and all that, but we'll do as good a job of addressing this question directly as, as anything else I could find Go in for the text. So let me get this up. Got it. So yeah, I'll just say that this is a question that I do want to track throughout the series as we go through Giselle's plot of like, why does Giselle love Artie? And to me, that's a very interesting question. And I think it highlights what Giselle didn't realize about himself because Artie's like talking circles around him. There's wordplay and he becomes interested in her intelligence and her self-confidence and the fact that she's not phased by his nobility status. It kind of throws him off but also makes him feel like there's actually some kind of genuine connection being made because those things like social status are thrown out the window so that just kind of and there's so many moments where Giselle thinks back on Artie's intelligence and I don't know I just think this idea of Giselle realizing there's like genuine human connection out there that I want to track throughout the series for sure Charles and I think you're touching on all the kind of things that I expect this quote will help drive home Mm -hmm. which is uh, reflecting on his feelings for Artie why did he feel like this why did he he couldn't even bring himself to think the word like her so much (laughs) then it came to him he knew why she didn't like him those mocking half smiles those sidelong glances he caught sometimes those jokes that went just a little too close to the bone not to mention the occasional examples of outright scorn she liked his money maybe she liked his position in the world of course she liked his looks undoubtedly (laughs) but in essence the woman despised him and he'd never had that feeling before. He had always just assumed that everybody loved him, had never really had cause to doubt he was a fine man worthy of the highest respect. But Artie didn't like him. He saw it now, and that made him think, apart from the jaw, of course, <laughs> the jaw, which we know where <laughs> that on the chin, that's right. Apart from the jaw, of course, and the money and the clothes, What was there to like? She treated him with the contempt he knew he deserved, and he couldn't get enough of it. Strangest thing, Giselle mumbled to himself, slouching miserably against the wall of the tunnel. 
strangest thing, it made him want to change her mind. And I think that's it. Like, I... Giselle is not known for his self-awareness, but I think this moment is the exception that makes the rule. Is he so la- he's actually just reflecting on his lack of self-awareness here, where it's like Artie treats him like the person that if he really were to stop and think and weigh the evidence because he's not he's not incapable of that sure he's not as clever as someone like lakta uh, and he's not <laughs> he can't scheme like someone like bias or anything yeah. like that and but that being said he's got some capability for thinking if he puts his mind to it it's just <laughs> that he's never been forced to put his mind to actually reflecting on what might be not great about him because no one in the world has ever treated him like he's anything less than amazing. So, you know, you're going through life being treated that way. Why would you stop and think, wait, what's wrong with me? You've never had to. Exactly. And this is the first time for Giselle. This is the, the uh, like, but he's, because he has some capability for like assessing things, he also, I think, has this nagging feeling underneath that, like, there is something wrong that makes him not a great person. And Artie is bringing that to the surface by being the first person to ever really just tell him these things. <laughs> and that makes her, uh, uh, like, A, I Artie, since the first time I, I, I read the First Law series, has been like uh, one of my favorite characters actually and i don't talk about her as much because there's just like there's less attention paid to her and all these kind of things which is you know part of her character um that she's starved for that attention uh so it reflects the fan base reflects that i think in some ways and and the way i don't uh give her the attention as a character that she deserves is uh, you know is also affected by that but it's like the a person who has nothing to lose already is so much like lower than Giselle that she doesn't aspire to say anything but the truth to him is the only uh, lower in the society, of course. Uh, and it's the only, she's the only person who's ever told him the truth about himself. And he knows he needs that. And that's, I think why he feels like he needs Artie. That is I mean, a brilliant quote. I think you nailed the answer to this question, honestly. It's exactly that. And this is what I love about Jazal's character. Because Abercrombie has such nuanced like layers to his character. Because on the surface level, yeah, he's a not likable guy. But Abercrombie, brilliant, weaves in a lot of his narcissism is the direct result of being systemic in this society. He was born into it and pampered his whole life. There's something wrong with the society of the Union where nobles have just, they all think like Giselle does. We were born into nobility. People have always told us we were great. Even though we aren't necessarily contributing anything, we think we deserve this. And that's what every noble in the union is like and that's actually the problem that the union is facing there's all these other societies that like are you know mobilizing faster than them because they're just um content they're stagnant and like Jazal was raised in that so the 
Like, yes, he's not likable, but you start to feel like there might be something to like some cracks in that because he's realizing how systemic goes like man I like everyone's told me how awesome I am I've always been awesome I never stopped to consider that maybe I didn't earn that much of this you know like is this idea of like what is there to me as an individual beyond what I was born into and it's not until Giselle meets Artie that he even considers something like that and it's because of his desire to prove himself to Artie that he finds new inspiration to compete in the contest and he changes the way he trains. Yeah, it's because he wants to prove Artie wrong, but I also think there's a more subtle layer to that. He wants to prove for himself that there's more than just, uh, there's more to him than his clothes and money and looks. Yeah, I think that he wants to prove Artie wrong and I think he also wants to prove Artie right in the sense that she's she's still investing her time in him. Mm-hmm. And I think that Artie has some sort of sense that there is some good underneath all of this with, uh, when it comes to Giselle. And I think that... So this comes up at one point when Artie... You know, there's that big moment where Artie and uh, and West get into a fight, and he's like, West does really reprehensible things and hits her and all that, and it and West is pissed about Artie spending time with Giselle, right. and she, yes, in part as a way to hurt West, but I think there's truth underlying this statement she says, which is. She ended with, perhaps I'll go and pay a call on Giselle. He may be the shallowest idiot in the whole city, but I don't think he'd ever raise a hand to me. Do you? And Such a great think, line. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene so much. Yeah, it's a harrowing scene, but yes. it's it's one of the most well-written scenes in the entire series, in my yes, opinion. Yes, me too. And this moment is kind of like, this is Giselle. He's, you look at him. And you see so many things that there are to not like about him. You see how conceited he is. You see that he's, you know, he barely looks past himself ever. He's maybe sh- shallow. But all that said, like, he wouldn't, of, of course he would never hit Artie. Like, or do we think he ever really would? Like, I don't. And no. I think that it's like, that's with all of these incredibly violent characters in the first law world and these people who do really messed up things like we talked about logan like i don't put anything past logan at this point basically right like any act of violence or messed up thing like yeah sure he'll like logan 99% 99% of the time, you'd be like, this guy's awesome. Like, what a nice guy. He's got all these yeah. great witticisms. And that 1% of the time, it's like, what did this guy just do? That is the most messed up thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And Giselle, 99% of the time, you're like, geez, I cannot deal with this guy. But he he doesn't have that 1% of the time where he's like unnecessarily being violent with like violent with a woman he cares about or something like that and he wouldn't he just wouldn't because he doesn't have that like bad bone 
really in his body. He just hasn't had the opportunity to reflect on himself and grow until, I think, we get into before they are hanged. Well, okay it's, yeah, transition? I think that's fair. But, I mean, we're skipping a couple things about the contest. And I just wanted to react okay, to that yeah. really quickly because it's so true. With Giselle, though, getting back to this, like, a lot of the negative things about his character are almost like a result are like almost systematic in the yeah. way that they've come about because it's the society he was born in. He's acting like everyone else around him. Like there's the scene where he's defending, you know, he's drinking before the finals with his friends. And one of his drinking buddies is like, Oh, that Artie though. Isn't she like, like kind of cute. And then, you know, he says more lewd things than that, but Giselle gets mad and starts fighting him. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? It's just someone who's like a lower social status than us. Why are you getting so worked up? And Giselle's almost kind of embarrassed that, he's kind of admitting his feelings for someone that's not, you know, in the courtship and doesn't look like yeah. someone a noble lady supposed to look like and all these other things. But Giselle's like fighting against that. And Giselle's constantly struggling against the environment that he's in, the systematic nature that he's in. But he's so kind of, I would say, maybe sweet's not the right word, but he's sensitive and he's oh. genuinely like a, he, he often chooses to be, kind and that can be part through his ignorance but it's also part of just his more sensitive nature it's just this environment gets him down every time and as we go through this and we see all these elements of character growth like you'll see how they get just flipped on their heads and stomped on <laughs> in many cases because of just this universe of the first law and characters like bias that won't let him have those moments because it's not you know, his place. It's not what they need from Giselle. So I just love all of that. And that gets us to like, let's just go through the contest really quickly. Cause yeah. we all know that Giselle wins. And I love that, but I love the moment where he's win. Like he wins through magic. Like Baez uses magic to make Giselle win unbeknownst to Giselle. So when Baez is like, congratulations, Giselle, like Giselle's like, ew, who is this guy? Get him away from me. Like I'm busy celebrating <laughs> earned, my victory. I yeah. just earned my victory. Yeah. Who's this guy? <laughs> like, Which is so classic Giselle. He has no idea what's going on at any point. Like people are playing chess, like, three levels above what where he's at and he's just like i just won you crazy i old just man. won this Stay game of checkers yeah exactly like get away from me and Baez is just like smiling contently to himself and yeah I, I just love those moments and it's it's all a part of like the payoff of Giselle's character arc too and we're, we're just seeing exactly how far removed Giselle is from the scheming of this society and and it's working for him now, but it's the tragic arc of his character that it gets like when he does grow as a person and he's ready to do good things. He's like the environment he's will not let him. Yeah, he's ill-equipped. And 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 before we get there, we need to go Could, through before they're hanged. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and just another note on the winning the contest. It's again, you know, Abercrombie understands his character so well that what he's trying to just bang the drum for over and over again with Giselle in the blade itself is this guy over and over again gets things he does not actually earn or deserve. And yes. even when he trains really hard for this contest, someone was training much harder in Bremer than Gorst. <laughs> and, you know, Gorst had a lot of natural ability, I think, too, his size and all this kind of stuff. But he was training harder for longer, and he should have won. Yeah, he developed a different style of 
of sword fighting where he had heavier swords and was just yep. gonna use his blunt force to break through all of any of Jazal's training, you know. So it would have won, and everyone saw it as the case, but. Jazal came through, whether it's through his privilege or what have you, the blessings of Baez, he was, uh, which is a great phrase. Yeah. But yeah, What we know it wasn't through was Jazal's skill alone, which there was a lot of, but not as much as Gorst. And I think that's the key is kind of thinking like, again, a guy gets a great thing he doesn't deserve, but from Jazal's perspective, what is that like? He has no reason yeah. to believe... Uh, like, he doesn't know magic exists. He just thinks, like, wow, I got this extra vigor, and I won. So, of course, he's sitting there. We, as the readers, know, like, dude, you didn't earn that. But he doesn't. So why would he question it? So I, I don't know. That's my, like, defense of Jizal again, kind of. Like, he's, yeah, he's a narcissist, but the world treats him in a way where why would he not be? So, so well said. We can and, it, and it's not until he gets out of that world and travels in the fellowship of the seed, as we like to call it, that he starts to kind of figure out his own wants and desires and identity a little bit. And that happens in Before They're Hanged. There's not like a whole lot of Jazal going on here. Um, there's really just that what we call the fellowship of the seed journey in which Baez is lecturing Jazal the whole way on history and what makes a good ruler and how to rule. And Jazal's like bored and frustrated and confused as to why this guy's talking to him and all that. And that's really funny. They bounce around between Jazal, Logan, Pharaoh a lot just to play off of each other, like committing to their perspectives where they don't really understand each other and they all kind of look silly, but then in their own heads, they have like these very serious plans and i really just liked the how logan kind of took jazal under his wing a little bit and kind of shared some philosophy with jazal and it, it was interesting to see what of that if anything took and then how long it lasted by the time they got back in last argument of kings yeah well i i think i would say charles that jazal goes through a ton of growth in before they are hanged yes and if the story ended after before they are hanged i think a lot of people would be feeling satisfied with jazal's arc as someone who they maybe would be kind of confused why the story ended when there was a lot more to tell right. but they'd say wow like jazal's arc really believably went from this very privileged person who had to then confront the real world who then learned a lot of lessons and we'd probably think wow he's going to go back he's going to be with Artie, who can be honest with him and like we're ready for all that and you know i i guess it's probably good for us to talk a little bit in more detail about some of these events that happened that helped him get to that place like get it taking that mace to the chin you know this oh. this is probably called taking it on the chin but i'll say to frame these conversations of jazal before they're hanged i'm gonna make the case that jazal went through the amount of character growth that we would be hoping for out of a series between uh the blade itself at the beginning and the end of before they're hanged and a lot of the reason people are dissatisfied with Jazal's arc in some ways is because then last argument backtracks, of course, deliberately and intentionally, but in a way where like, I think Jazal went through at so much character growth. It's just that he undid it later that yeah. has people kind of upset with it, but let's, yeah, we'll get into the, yeah, the nitty gritty here. Exactly. And 
one of the things that I love about these before they're hanged moments, you really get to see how, you know, the union was basically like a bubble. And when you took Jazal, perhaps the most like ignorant, naive, inexperienced person, and you just put him out there in the same situation as Logan Ninefingers, <laughs> who's like lived out in the wild for a long time, very realistic about many things. And then you have Jazal, who's I don't think ever been realistic, and you put them in the <laughs> same right. You put them in the same level. You know, Jazal went in with these social constructs of like, oh, he's a barbarian, and like, don't get too close to me, like all these other things. But then I love these moments where like it's raining and Jazal's yes. miserable in his clothes, and like his his clothes are chafing and they stay wet forever and then Logan's like has taken his shirt off and is like embracing the rain and Jazal's looking at him like he's crazy but meanwhile Jazal's uncomfortable for days and days and he gets he feels hunger for the first time he starts to eat some of the traveling food that he was kind of turning away for a little while he starts to actually break down some of these social constructs and and sees these people more as his comrades and he actually even appreciates and gains respect for logan and pharaoh and there's even these moments towards the end where he's like perhaps i've not been such a good person and he makes all these promises to himself like i'm gonna be a better person i'm, I'm gonna propose to Artie, like all of these things and you're like wow just all it's amazing yeah. what taking you out of this environment can do and also there's the metaphor of his chin right where <laughs> in the in there's this line in uh, the blade itself where he's like his he wiped his face and then his favorite part of the day gazed at himself in the looking glass and then there's these lines where like he ha doesn't think he's ever seen a more perfect chin you know like yeah. all those lines like that and then we know in before they're hanged one of Giselle's highlights is that he gets a mace to the face and it like wrecks his chin it's a very humbling experience for Giselle I don't think any character gets more humbled than Giselle in Before They're Hanged in this whole trilogy he he definitely has this hum like he has to almost be forced to face humility when he's like blubbering in pain and he loses his perfect chin it was such a such a great payoff for for all those chin comments we got in Blade itself. It's like, now let me put this guy through the ringer. And I think a lot of people kind of appreciated seeing this like whiny, privileged, annoying person uh, get his due. I think a lot of people see it that way. And it's just um, another brilliant layer in his character arc. Yeah, well said, Charles. And you say no character got humbled more than Giselle. I would say no one had more room for humbling than Giselle yes, had in the entire series. True. So, yeah, you know, if if Logan took a mace to the face, that wouldn't make a lot of change in his life. He'd right. take, he's taken a lot of wounds of that nature. And in fact, he's he's kind of this guidance through the process for Giselle in a lot of ways. And not just for when Giselle's recovering from getting hit by the mace but throughout as you were touching on before they're hanged is that moment in the rain that you mentioned mm -hmm. is one that if you didn't bring it up i was going to mm -hmm. and it's basically like Giselle's just chafing everywhere he's walking in the rain he's like his like nipples are chafing <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and he's just in outright pain and logan being realistic about these things and having a lot of this experience he just takes off his shirt and it's hard for Giselle to look on and say like wait I am chafing all over if I took off my shirt that would stop and in a lot of ways it's like when Giselle 
like just all such a product of his environment, as we've said. And when the environment changes, uh, and he's out there, <laughs> you know, speaking of environment, he's out there in the rain, and he's out there in the wilderness, and there's not all these societal structures. It gives him the chance to just like accept things for how they are and he does i think he does take off his shirt if i'm remembering correctly and well it helps maybe and eventually he, but what i do remember about that scene is he looks at logan with his shirt off embracing the rain like he's a crazy person. and he thinks logan yes well he's like what a barbarian like like <laughs> all this kind of stuff like how could he do that but i do think he eventually comes around you know correct you can uh shoot us a tweet if <laughs> right i would if, not be surprised yes. if that was the case but certainly at the beginning it's, he's like look at this guy he's crazy he took his shirt off is he mad like that's not proper or whatever all these other things but it was a great highlight of exactly how much Dizal had to learn about you know what it's like traveling out in the world. And I love all these lessons too, that Logan is sneaking in like, Oh, leave yeah. the violence to people who aren't smart enough to avoid it. Oh, like what matters is you go back and just live the life you want to live with the people that you love and like leave the squabbling to, to the others. Like the best thing you can do is to just live this life of obscurity and peace. You know, that's kind of a lot of the advice that Logan is seeping into Jazal and Jazal's takeaway is like, yeah, I just want to go back and I will like the minute I see Artie, I'm going to lay myself down and propose to her because I love her so much. Anything to get out of this rain and back into her arms, you know, like that kind of thing. And so all these lessons are being learned and taught. And then it's up to last argument of Kings to determine like exactly how far that character growth is going to go or last or what have you. But I think it's, interesting that logan's getting through to jazal in this way and um you know logan's a great teacher in a lot of ways but um you know we had our whole conversation about ultimately what logan does with his own advice but it's good advice nonetheless and jazal was a good ear to kind of absorb it and we've all been in those situations where it's like man if i could just get out of here like i would go home and like you know whatever i you know like hug my family or whatever so Giselle's going through those moments right now and that's what his arc is kind of committed to and before they're hanged and I just love it like you said a lot of character growth happening all for the better and then it's like okay how does he when he gets back into reality how does that stand up <laughs> in the real world which I think is a lot a big thesis in Abercrombie's work here in the first law yeah, well said, Charles. And I'll grab one of these moments of Giselle in the rain. And, I, and I'm not seeing him taking off his shirt, so I could be wrong That's about that. But it, there's this line, Giselle began to perceive dimly that he had, until now, had rather an easy life. <laughs> <laughs> I love the word dimly. Making it to he had there. rather an easy life also. You know, that commitment yeah. to his, you know, to his perspective in the narration for his chapters is what makes him so good exactly yeah we're so tight to Giselle's perspective that it it's like if you think of it from this lens of like 
interacting with Giselle directly, it's almost super frustrating because it's like, dude, really? Rather an easy life? Like, di- you're dimly getting this? <laughs> but if you think of it from the perspective of, like, Abercrombie and his commitment to his characters and being so tight to their perspective, that's when I think Giselle really starts to shine because it's like, dude, like, I love that Abercrombie decided to say it this way. Like, he yeah. decided to say dimly because it's like, dude, of course, just this is Giselle trying to overcome. I mean, how old is he at this point? He's probably, like, in his early 20s or something probably. would be my guess. Uh, I'm not sure if it's ever established. But that's how I think of him. Uh, you know, if you know the answer, uh, let us know. And then, yeah, it's that, of course, Giselle's only barely starting to come into touch with this idea he's overcoming let's say like two decades or so of his privilege and it's uh yeah it goes on to say a like he talking about times where he was moaning about having to lower himself to play cards with lieutenant brint or how sausages were always a touch overdone in the morning it's like those kind of things are what he's having to face and finally he's starting to realize it and that's just one of the many moments we get here as Giselle starts to see someone like logan who in the meantime has a a line that said (laughs) <laughs> He's, he says um oh god it's uh, you call this rain i think i'm trying to find it uh, find it where oh yeah it's like uh Giselle, he says something i can't say on my on uh, our clean podcast here but i'll paraphrase he says f them then and 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 this rain too and the next line is you call this rain Nine fingers rode past him, a big smile spread across his ugly lump of a face. And again, there's that, like, the way the prose speaks from Giselle's perspective is he just sees, like, this, all he, he can't see past the fact that he thinks Logan is ugly to see the wisdom that Logan has yet. But he really does start to get there over time as Logan tells him over and over again these lessons. That's so well said. And that's what, you know, that's how Abercrombie just stands out for us. We always say, oh, great character work and all those other things. And these quotes kind of really highlight that. Like his commitment to the voice of each character in the narration of the POV chapter is so great. All these subtle things, like even just describing Logan's face as lumpy and ugly, or even just saying like, oh, he might have had a slightly easy life. You know, yes. it's like he's not willing to admit <laughs> that much. Like he's still like these yeah. key words just make this character absolutely pop to life. And it's so much fun to dissect and look back on and and see where it ends up because of how so much of the story is about character growth and how much work is put into it and then how much it ultimately doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the genius of it. And no one highlights that more than Jazal, who's kind of like the tragic version where he has no control but he went through the best character growth he did what we want a hero to do in a lot of ways is gain compassion and 
and you know power and humility and all these things and then he's the one that gets dunked on by Baez and forced into this puppet king situation where he cannot live the life he wants and cannot yeah. have the life that he wants to have even though he's ready like he may even be a good king now he's talking about democracy and all these other things but it does not matter because Baez is calling the shots and all of that compassion is learned here and before they're hanged and it's it's brilliant as well all I can say and that's why Giselle stands out for me like yeah he doesn't get any great one-liners he doesn't he he has a lot of characteristics about him that you can instinctively be like oh this guy's a privileged and annoying but when you look at the character work and the growth that he goes through and the way it's treated and the subtlety of it, it it's up there with it's up there with Galacta and Logan and all the others. It's it's just as brilliant. It's just flipped on itself. Exactly, Charles. And that's a kind of conversation where we're preparing for this episode. I know you mentioned that you were hoping <laughs> like I would come in with some quotes and I, I hope I'm doing it so far. And I, I said, to you like it's interesting because i don't think of jazal as particularly quotable because mm-hmm. usually it's like when we're grabbing quotes it's like someone like glockta right if you want glockta quotes they're going to be either his like internal monologue or his dialogue or something like that because he has all these epic lines that come from him directly as a character exactly. but i i i said to you in that text channel, i was like i don't know if jazal's particularly quotable but then i was thinking about it and i was like well like there i the best quotes for jazal will probably be in the prose because it's the way that the prose by being so tied to jazal's f narcissistic and ridiculously privileged perspective gets to poke fun at him to the reader and in this way that is almost like at first when jazal is like needs to like dude like blade itself like needs to learn these lessons it's funny and we get to be like this guy um but then it go it gets to the point then where there's almost this transition as as we'll continue to move through this where it almost starts to become sad where he's like helpless Mm -hmm. and trying so hard in Abercrombie's to like resist Abercrombie's grim dark world around him and we've mentioned that we think Glockta is the character most aware of the kind like (laughs) not that he's in a novel but not that he knows he's in a novel but he is most aware of the tone of the world that he's in and we'll almost say like the most aware that he's in a grimdark novel and i think that in contrast to glockta jazal is the least aware of the kind of novel that he is in and that's why the novel gets to in the prose make fun of him but then also the novel gets to like really beat him down to the point where it's tragic, like you said, Charles, and yeah. I feel for him, and we're starting to move toward that point. Exactly. One of the things now that we're going into Last Argument of Kings that I want to keep in perspective is, one, like, retouching on this Artie relationship, but two, this idea of Giselle's ending, and it's like, does he get what he deserves? Does he have a choice? Is it tragic? Like, those kind of things, and you touched on it really well, where I do think it's absolutely tragic. The guy did everything a hero in a fantasy novel is supposed to do and he 
ends then up, there was another book yeah <laughs> short <laughs> short of the most you know short of being one of these characters that gets killed he has one of the most you know disappointing outcomes for any of these characters and we can get into that but it, it all starts with remember at the end of before they're hanged just all learning all these lessons and he's like oh the first thing i'm gonna get do i uh, do when i get back is i'm gonna profess my love to Artie, and yeah I, that's what i want to do and that's all like i can think about and that's what got him through his recovery and through all the horrible <laughs> experiences because i would say that journey was harder for him than anyone else who was on that trip because they were all experienced yeah. travelers oh, for except sure. for him. So he overcame. Oh, maybe. Well, never uh, mind. Never mind about Kwai. Because <laughs> yeah. Kwai was already out of it. By yeah, that. Kwai was already. That wasn't really Kwai. Yeah. But uh, if you consider what happened beforehand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kwai is a good one as well. But we, we kind of overlook Kwai, which is. Yeah, we overlook him, which is another brilliant twist by Vikrambi. We overlook him because he's. You know, he's Ptolemy, but um, that was an interesting development. But yeah, of all like the POV characters, he definitely went through, he had the hardest go of it and came out with the most growth from it. So that plops us right into Last Argument of Kings. He gets back to Adjua. You know, he there's these moments where Baez is building up his his legendary status. Like Jazal sees a beggar getting, you know, getting some yeah. harassment from some guards and he interferes, which is something he's like, why am I even doing this? I'm so surprised. You know, he's learned all these things from being outside for like, he's not back for two seconds before he sees something that normally he probably would have walked past or even agreed with. But now he's defending a beggar and he didn't do too. You know, he, you know, put one guy down and the other guy left, but Baez was loudly proclaiming like, just like defender of the common people, you know, the common man, winner of the contest, winner of the contest. (laughs) And everyone's kind of looking like, Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I love this thread of Baez building up Jazal. by the way, it's so funny. Like in the second read where, you know, he gets hit in the chin and Baez is like, Hmm, it will do, you know, we can work with this. (laughs) And you're like, what is he talking about? But then, you know, you're like, Oh yeah, this is so funny. How Baez is just like looking well, at just all like a prized horse or something. Here's, well, here's that quote, Charles, because mm-hmm. I, I had that one when I read it from Baez after he's looking at Giselle's new face. He says, "Yes, all in all, I think it will serve. It will serve. And yeah. That it will serve, and you can take that." So this is what's fun about these character profiles is we we can't die. That's before they're hanged. Right. And because we don't do spoilers for the, for the full series when we're doing the before they're hanged discussion, you can't dive into <laughs> the potential double meaning of Baez who thinks of people like, I like to say, a, he thinks of them as cattle on a good day and ants on a bad day. Yeah. And he's looking at Jazal, who's his, like, prized pig, for lack of a better way of putting it, that he's going to sent to the uh, you know he's gonna put up in the king's chair his prized puppet maybe and he's saying it will serve so that could mean Jazal's face but it's also thinking about it kind of as like too biased Jazal isn't it so yeah. he's almost looking at because Jazal's so much less than him in his way he views himself as a mage or magi a um and he looks at then Jazal is just this mere human ant, basically. And he's like, yeah, it will serve. Like, it will do, but it will also serve 
the purposes of Baez, and it being Jazal will serve the purposes of Baez. Right. It reminds me of line. when someone's trying to buy like a prized cow or a horse, and they're like yeah. checking the teeth and everything of the animal. Like Baez is essentially doing that to Jazal while Jazal's like writhing in pain from the injury. You know, he's like holding up his chin, looking at him, like looking at the different angles. He's like, okay, okay, we're we're, we're still good. He, he, this will serve, and we can actually make this work. It's like he's the battle hardened, like, like like hero we the city deserves and it's like you said this is why almost like we felt like we had to do these character episodes because we wanted to talk about yes all of these moments and to try and do it all within this last argument of king's discussion just well was that would have been before they're hanged and <laughs> right right but then to have the we could have had the spoiler oh no, no, yeah, exactly but, right, but what yeah, i'm yeah, saying is to have all of these conversations yes. like it's like and hey remember yeah. and before they're hanged when he exactly. said that isn't that crazy that now we're here it's like we can't have that for every single character like it would be hours and hours long it was already a two-parter the last <laughs> argument of kings rightfully deserved yeah. but that's where we are and that's you know what all these jazal moments are so fantastic and that one of the chin and and the beggars and the guards and all of the history and like oh this guy was a great ruler but he didn't understand that you need to balance compassion with you know a like brute strength every once in a while you need to prove your strength and like don't be you know powers one through action like all of these other things he's like trying to get Jazal to get these ideas in his head and it's all pays off here but first before Jazal gets voted king he does get back with Artie but it's not the experience that he romanticized in his head I believe she was drunk at the time and their interaction was their romantic encounter I'll say was very awkward and and rough in some ways like Artie was kind of out of it it was not what you would expect when you're rushing back into a lover's arms you know it was the exact opposite it was very unromantic and awkward but they do end up pursuing a relationship out of it but this is like the early seeds of Giselle kind of unlearning some of his lessons (laughs) you know it, it starts with some of these like oh this wasn't as built up in my head as I thought it was going to be and oh like now that I'm back I see he's like getting back more into business as usual kind of stuff. And and, and that's where these moments with Artie happen. Yeah, and Artie's a real person with her. Uh, well, not in the real world, but... Uh, <laughs> She's not real, you know that, right, Dylan? First... <laughs> <laughs> I'm vaguely... <laughs> it's like the Giselle, like... Uh, uh, I, I'm dimly aware that <laughs> <laughs> these characters we talk about aren't real people. Yeah. But I think that it's... As a character in the First Law world, Artie is to be taken as a real person with her own issues. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why like, nothing bows down to character in a f- First Law novel. Uh, I mean, sorry, I, let me rephrase that. Everything bows down to character in a First Law novel. Nothing supersedes characters and their arcs. And this is one of those moments where like this you almost feel like the story was setting itself up for this like rush back into your lover's arms and everyone's come to have it together but it's like then Artie because she's got all these things that she's trying to work out from her own experiences as a child and with with column with her with her father with column west as well like all these things she's 
not herself ready for this rush into your lover's arms moment. And she, she like bites his lip and he's bleeding. I think if I'm remembering all this correctly and it's weird and it's not all the, you know, just all comes back and the story isn't panning out the way that he has hoped for and kind of built it up in his head because these are, like, you have to be realistic about these things. Artie was not there yet. And that being said, the two of them do, like you said, pursue this relationship. And though there, there are some bumps in the road, they're close enough to ready where it looks like maybe it's going to go okay despite their issues right and we remember logan's advice right like oh find someone you love stay with them leave the fighting to someone else and Jazal is all in on that as he was bandaged up in the wagon you know in the middle of the desert right and in the waste and now that he's back he's starting to take that advice you know i i do like Jazal and Artie's relationship they seem to really be a genuinely a good couple in a decent amount of ways. Like they are having a good time together. They're exchanging quips and jabs and they seem to be compatible, but we get this moment that I love and it's almost like, you know, it's the tragedy of Giselle's character is, you know, they're in the, in bed together and he gets they get a knock on the door and literally he's just on the other side of the door with Artie waiting for him. And they're like, it's um, it's Farouz, right? He's like, just all we're promoting you to colonel, and we need you to go and quell a peasant revolt right now. And Jazal, after all of Loken's advice and after what he told himself over and over again, recovering in that wagon, the second someone dangles a superficial promotion in his face, he's like, I deserve to be colonel. <laughs> it's like, you know, to be colonel, you have to like serve in the army and actually go to war and like have years of experience and have all these connections. But you just get it. And only Jazal could be offered colonel and feel like he deserved it and accept it without any questions, you know? And that's what has been built up for just all this whole time. He's like, yeah, I deserve this. It's about time. Wow, Colonel, this is fantastic. Like, my career is taking off as it should. You know, all these other things. And he just goes. He doesn't take his own advice. He doesn't take Logan's advice. He doesn't He doesn't do what he swore up and down he was going to do when he was traveling. And that's because they dangled a little carrot in front of him and he, you can see in the narration, he slowly starts to un, like talk himself out of all the lessons that he's learned. It's so well written in the narration. And and uh, it's such a great scene. And it's the first warning sign that we get from Jizal in Last Argument of Kings that, hey, he might not learn all of these lessons. They might not stick in his brain after all. And that's calculated by bias. Yeah, that's well said, Charles. I mean, you can take the kid out of the Agrion, but you can't take the Agrion out of the kid. Mm, well said. And that's the thing about Jazal is he, and you especially can't take the Agrion out of the kid when you put him back in the Agrion. Yes. And it's like, if you remove Jazal permanently from these this environment of the Agrion and what everyone's telling him in it and what, everyone, what purposes everyone needs him to serve within it, then sure. Maybe he could have sustained a lot of this growth, but he's still, it's basically, I don't know how long they were on the Fellowship of the Seed journey, but I can be very confident in it was only a small fraction of time compared to the many years of Jazal's life prior to that short experience. So 
it makes sense why Giselle is slipping into these old habits because he's back in the same place with the same people to start treating him in the same way they used to. And right. he doesn't have it in him really to resist that. And it's sad to see <laughs> and that. And it just happen. snowballs. He goes from Colonel to overthrowing the you know the tanner with no problems with Baez, and that did not bring up any warning signs in Giselle's head he goes back after dealing with the tanner back to Adjua, and they have like a welcome procession and he's like i deserve this this is great like it's about time people started recognizing my potential and all these other things and you're like what are you doing and then it even gets to the point where he's elected king and it's like oh you're the illegitimate son of the king and we vote for you and he's like this is great i can't believe it i'm the king now (laughs) his first reaction is like he's like paling and freaking out at this idea of like i don't he doesn't really want to be. He fought again. He starts to slowly. Right. He's like, like slowly, systematically like, unlearning the lessons. Exactly. And it's a slow but process. His, and he's like talking himself out of his lessons, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something we got to give Jazal credit for that he's coming into these moments at least a little. Like, wait, like, no, something's, something's wrong here. But then the world starts treating him in all of these ways, like he is a great hero who negotiated uh, with the Tanner in such an amazing fashion. And then he is the illegitimate, or yeah, the illegitimate son of a king. And that he, that makes him a king now. And he and went on all, all these, these brave adventures. Like, <laughs> yes. And he did, you know, he took a mace to the face. Like he went through a lot of hardship and, you know, did, was he the hero of that journey? No, but he went did that through journey a lot hard accomplish times. anything? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. And it's like Jazal again is just reacting to what the world is telling him about himself, and he at least has the decency in Last Argument of Kings to feel like there's something off. When over and over again, the messages he's being sent are he's all these things. What incentive is there for him to question it? Yeah, old habits die hard for certain. And all this sense of entitlement and the idea of being a noble in this society just kind of feeds. It helps Jazal, even though he's unsure and cautious, it helps him buy into it. And that's all he needs to do to begin this arc of tragedy is like buy into the fact that he's even somewhat earned any of this. <laughs> like, yeah. like this is again, when we talked about the contest, it's like this idea of er- like earning something through privilege alone and not through hard work. I mean, the guy becomes king, you know, it's like king of the union. He certainly did not deserve it. But Baez's narrative put him there and it's you could argue it's his privilege that puts him there in conjunction with Baez's puppetry and Giselle still when he's king is like oh there's so many things we get to I want to do now and he's starting to realize that his power is an illusion he's ignored by the close council he's forced to sit the tedious audiences Baez is constantly <laughs> it's funny to say this interfering and that's such a great way the narration works where it's just always like why is bias getting in the way of me being king it's like oh just you have no idea what's going on <laughs> like you're getting in the way of bias running the world you know you're such a small piece in that and his narrative is constantly describing how people are getting in his way and not listening but it's like dude you're not getting the full picture here and you know he gets 
he gets to do his few moments of good. He promotes Colin West to Lord Marshall, and that was a fun moment. Uh, but for the most part, he's getting told what to do. And, you know, we were talking about Artie and Jazal, but I think another really interesting relationship now is Jazal and Princess Therese of Talons, where the roles get kind of flipped because Princess Therese proves to be unhappy and resents him. Why? Because he's of his illegitimate birth and Jazal's trying to process that. You know, it's like, oh, she's a princess. She's, you know, really good looking and she's of high birth and like this is going to be so great and awesome and then she's like don't touch me get away from me like i don't like you you're an illegitimate like your 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 lineage is illegitimate like i don't want anything to do with you outside of our public interactions and just i was like what <laughs> you know it, it's such a great flip to the arty arc which he of course had to break and, up with arty <laughs> yeah and speaking of his relationship with Therese. There's a chapter in Last Argument of Kings called The Perfect Couple, and <laughs> which we learn is ironically named. And Can you expect any less reflecting from Joe Abercrombie? On... If you read a title called The Perfect Couple, you, <laughs> you should be yes. very suspicious. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, well, what, what kind of scathing commentary is Abercrombie <laughs> going to have on relationships now? <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. Uh, every conversation, Evercrombie is so amazing, dude. <laughs> it's so good. But I, in this chapter, there's Giselle's basically reflecting on that he like he doesn't really remember accepting a proposal from in any way. Like he's just kind of at his. He's just ready for his wedding, yeah. and there's this line. Since his enthronement, he had drifted helplessly through one incomprehensible event after another, like a man shipwrecked and struggling to keep his head above water, out of sight of land dragged who knew where by unseen, irresistible currents, but considerably better dressed. He was... (laughs) And this is the big one. He was gradually starting to realize that the more powerful a man became, the fewer choices he really had. So let's bring that one into this no choice at all idea that you had for a uh, for an episode titled uh, mm-hmm. Charles, which is Gisal had far more choices when he was just a what's he start a oh god what's his uh, 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 captain. Captain. Yeah, I think you're right there, Charles. Nice. Yeah, thank um, you. So uh, he, when he's just a captain at the start, he's able to make all these choices for what he wants to do with his life. He could have, in he could have theoretically uh, been with Artie in that case. It would have been a scandal, but but that's that. Like right. no one would have actually done anything to stop it. But now that he's so close to you know, he calls it irresistible currents. He's soon going to learn that those irresistible currents are just a very tight puppet string because he's gotten so close to Baez himself wielding those strings. And yeah. he's so close at this point, he's too high up in that uh, puppeteer like chain of strings that he ha- now does not have any sense of control without 
defying Baez, and we know we'll we'll get to the moment where Baez tells him exactly what will <laughs> happen if he defies him. And it's kind of like Giselle, by the time he's learned enough to realize the freedom that he once had, he no longer has that freedom. And that's kind of the, the irony of Giselle's arc, I think. Yeah, there, no there was a great quote towards the end where he basically explicitly says that too. He's like, man, I had more freedom as a captain than I did as a king. You know, yeah. he's re- he reflects on that. And that's such an important part of um, Giselle's arc is that he realizes that, but it's too late. You know, he's, he's yeah. let these like carrots dangled in front of him lead him to this situation that is now unavoidable. He's too far under the unrelenting current of Baez's, you know, of Baez's games and he's stuck in it now and there's not much he can do. And that is such a great part and it's built on top of that with his just him being unaware of everything that was happening is is another piece to it that I want to make sure we revisit is that he even to the end was pushing on bias and pushing on the close council and thinking that he was a king and thinking that he was changed and that he was going to enact democracy and that he was going to have a meaningful relationship with Therese and all of these other things and it just was never the case and he doesn't learn that until the very very end of his like last POV chapter he's like looking out at Baez leaving and he's like I am so screwed <laughs> like yeah. this is the end for me and it's it's tragic you know because he genuinely went through some real growth but because of the nature in which he was raised and the systematic like puppeteering of Baez throughout his whole life he was never and just his ignorance to like the greater game being played here that he was just taken advantage of essentially to the very end and he didn't even realize it until bias like explicitly like squished his guts and told him like you you do what i say you have no real power and you don't mean anything and to me that's tragic even though yes a lot of jazal's time we spent with him he was doing like unsavory, like privileged, annoying things. You, it, his whole environment was working against him. And then ultimately when he does learn his lessons, which is not an easy thing to do, but he somehow manages to do it, it, it it's rendered like inactionable because he's in this position where he's the puppet king for Baez and for Glockta. So it's for me, I always looked at this like, man, she's all so tragic. Like I feel bad yeah. for him. Like, I, I get a lot of people don't like him, especially from the Blade itself. He, there's not a lot to like about the Blade itself version of Jazal, but Jazal the King at the end of Last Argument of Kings is someone who's learned his lessons and can't do anything about it. And it's that bitter like irony that Abercrombie has used to subvert the idea of character growth in a fantasy novel. You know, usually the character learns their lessons and learns to like love and to trust and then ends up in their happily ever after scenario. And he learns those things, but it doesn't matter because reality has pulled him away. And that is the Giselle character arc to me. It's tragic. For sure. And he doesn't even get to leave the story with that sense of having been as privileged or or like as of noble 
birth as he thought he was too because even as he's getting built up all this way of like okay well just all your environment and everyone is telling you that you are actually a king like yeah. you deserve this just all and he's like yeah well maybe i do deserve this now that i think about it i was born to a king he doesn't even get to keep that because yeah. Baez tells him no you were just some nobody's bastard uh not a king's bastard and i just found you and among all these other people who could have been the person that i elevate to king because i need them to sit there and look like a king while i run everything like you you're just one of them yes and it could have been anyone else yes and Giselle's entire foundation gets yeah. brought down in that scene where even he was a noble or a legitimate king. It's like, no, you were, I purchased you from a commoner and I planted you like a seed and I planted a whole bunch of seeds and you just happened to be the one that I chose. And don't think you are ever the only one. Like, don't think you can't be replaced. You are literally exactly. nothing unless I say that you are. And Giselle's whole world at that point gets rocked. And then he's left like sniveling like a child because Baez basically used the power against him and like gave him a lot of pain to help him learn that lesson quickly, which was very effective. And then he is resigned. He now finally understands the role that he plays in this. And it's too late. He's the puppet King at best. And he's watching Glockta marry Artie, the only woman he's ever loved. Yeah. It's tragic. While being the person who runs his kingdom, like, yeah. more directly than by us, and then uh, anyone he will ever try to interact with will be like you're the king you must be so happy and like how could you ever feel bad as the king you know he's got no one to commiserate with he's and trapped yeah and this is this is what's so bitter about i almost said bittersweet but there's nothing sweet about <laughs> no. it like this is what's so bitter about the jazal arc is had he not gone through all of that character growth, especially before they're hanged, to get to this point, he could have been probably deeply satisfied with a life as a king that is told by everyone how amazing he is and how he's yes. a king. Yes. And doesn't actually get to or have to, oh, as the so way he would true. have thought about it, think for himself or do anything or try to help anyone and that's why this is so tragic to me charles it's like he did all of this growth and then he's punished for that growth by this sense of dissatisfaction that comes with having become a better person oh, man, and so being true. aware of the things that are wrong about being a king that everyone tells is great while actually having no true power or responsibility that's so true that tragic irony rings true like if you took act one scene one Jazal, and made him king but says hey, hey look bias and glock are going to tell you what to do but you're king isn't that great he'd be like yeah that is great i deserve this isn't this fantastic and and he'd have a better go of it than you know than last argument of kings just all that's learned all his lessons <laughs> it's like learning yeah. these lessons makes the experience even worse and that's what you know earns abercrombie this grim dark title it's like i learned all my lessons i understand what's happening now i understand but it's through knowing that makes your experience and your position even more tragic it's like you did all the good things and you're being 
punished for it right now. Yeah. So brutal. <laughs> right. And that's why Giselle gets one of the most tragic and sad endings for him. It's like, dude, you're just in the wrong book. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, man. You try, <laughs> like you tried, you had some chances, you made some mistakes for sure. Oh yeah. But you know, heroes make mistakes in all sorts of books and the, you know, we're reading wheel of time. Now I'd say the heroes make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where it will go, but uh, you know, cause I'm still yeah, first time mistakes reader, come but, from like an innocence almost where it's like, he didn't an, know any naivete. better. And I have that's better. That's better. Where it's like, yeah, he yeah. just didn't, he was, he was put in an environment where he was doomed to fail. And that's, you know, he's just one of the many whims of bias, which right. is crazy to think about. And, like bias yeah. doesn't realize, well, he doesn't care anyway that he's playing with lives, human lives, oh, because yeah. he him, realizes, he realizes, but he, that's like his perspective is irrelevant. To is, him. Yeah, it's irrelevant. So, but Jazal has to live in the wake of the consequences of Baez's decisions and Baez doesn't care about his about Giselle's experience at all. He doesn't care if Giselle's happy or right. like is fulfilled. He just cares that he does what he tells him to do. And those few moments that he actually needs them, you know, it's like my attention's going elsewhere, but I expect you to do everything. You know, it's like, he doesn't even care enough to see that he's doing what he wants him to do. He's like, I'm leaving, but this is all the stuff you're going to do. You know, it's so brutal. And some credit to Giselle and his resilience, where he goes through all of it. And the last time I think we see him in the First Law trilogy is he's asking Glockta if he can figure out a way to, well, first he suggests attacks on the banks. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> which just goes What's yeah, next? Just Have goes people vote? Give me a break. <laughs> well, and what... What bank is premier among all the banks? It's Valent and Bulk, which is run by Baez. And Jazal, literally the worst thing you could do to defy Baez uh, is to tax the banks. It again highlights (laughs) how little he understands about the game that's being played, where his first thing is to tax the banks. And Glock is like, oh, you sweet summer child. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's a horrible idea. Yeah, and and credit to Glockta for actually like being somewhat gentle to Giselle yeah. in this moment. Um, but yeah, he's asking maybe we could tax these rich banks. Maybe we could pay for a new hospital near the docks and surgeons and help these suffering people. It's like, dude, Giselle, for everything he's been through, for to end up in this situation with his worldview shattered, to be rendered powerless, he still wants to and do something. The risk good. he's taking by expressing that to Glock, yes. too. He's under the thumb of bias. There's no worse person you could cross. And Giselle realizes this at this point, right? He's seen bias turn people to bloody mist. He's been traumatized from bias multiple times. And he's still like, Clay Glock, maybe while he's gone, we can like build a hospital. <laughs> It's like, oh man, Giselle, like you're so brave, but also so not ready for this. <laughs> yeah, still in the wrong book. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like Galacta almost gets a, as Abercrombie character arcs go, like a 
happy ending. I don't want to say happy, but you know what I'm saying. It's like yeah. Glockto had some things he would have wanted getting at the start, probably, which is like some reason to live, <laughs> uh, like some sort of greater power to actually do things. And he, you know, he ends up married to Artie, who sincerely like is caring for him and wants to be a part of this relationship and mm -hmm. do right by all this. And like, that's a genuine relationship by the end here. Yes. Um, and he ends up with as much power as someone not named Baez <laughs> or Kalul can have. Yes. And I think that that's, there's a lot to be said for, look, is Glockta happy by the end of it? Who's happy in the first law world with any sense of what's going on around them? But it's like he gets something of a relatively like nice ending for him and gets some of the things he would have wanted at the start. And I think he has a reason to live by the end of it. And he didn't at the start. And it's like that's because Glockta is in the <laughs> right book for someone like him. And he's such a good fit for this grim, dark world. And Giselle, even till the bitter end, <laughs> bitter in every sense of that word, I, well, maybe not the like taste of it, but uh, in the bitter end is still, he's still in the wrong book for him. And he gets this very tragic So ending. true. And in the so meta tough. of all of this too, you know, Glockta tortures people mercilessly. Logan kills people mercilessly. What's the worst crime Giselle's ever committed? And thinking about his chin and like yeah. stringing Artie along. Like, is that his worst crimes? Yet he is by far the least, you know, in our Twitter polls. He's, yeah. he, he couldn't even beat Dogman, who had way less screen time. I love Dogman, don't get me wrong, but he's. He almost feels like not as big of a feature as Giselle. And I, you know, that's a lot because we are so focused on these elements of a human being that we don't like that Giselle embodies. And the narrative is so focused on that. But when you think about it, he was trying. He's just in the wrong book. He's in the wrong book, even for, you know, people to rally behind him like they do with Logan and Glockta, who have committed much more horrible war yeah. crimes than Giselle. But it's just wrong book man sorry <laughs> people don't like you tough sitch tough sitch but i think we did him enough justice today uh, i don't know how you're feeling dylan but you know i was glad we were able to focus a conversation on Giselle, and i hope we didn't do him dirty no i don't think we did him dirty at all in fact like you know we've after all, all of these we're doing these character profiles because we f think every character in the first law is freaking amazing basically like <laughs> yeah. i mean uh, like uh, all the ones that get time to actually be featured uh, are incredibly compelling characters mm -hmm. and we used with like logan we were like we gotta give a like a warning at the end here of like hey i know we've been really hard on this character today <laughs> but we really think they're a great compelling character even if they're not a nice person yeah. deep down and i think like not we don't have to do that at all we have to do the opposite Giselle, <laughs> because it's like yeah we have to be like hey we know you hate Giselle, but like yeah, exactly. like here like uh but I don't know how consider to consider his uh, environment, like, consider yeah, the book like, he's in and how ill prepared he was and like, you know, yeah. how sensitive he is and how little horrible things he actually ended up doing. You know, it's like we're doing right. the reverse. We're like arguing why we are kind of nice to him, whereas we're arguing why we're mean to maybe someone like Logan. That's exactly. 
And it's like, you know, these are targeting First Law fans, people who've read the full trilogy, and they know, look, we could give you a podcast where we spend the whole, or an episode, maybe not a whole yeah. podcast, <laughs> but we could give you an episode of our podcast where we discuss how Jazal is a narcissist. But I think you probably knew that from the first <laughs> chapter of the blade itself, that Jazal is very conceited at the start and there's all these things to dislike about him. And they're valid reasons to dislike Jazal. And what we hope to spend more time, because it's more interesting to us and we hope more interesting to you too, we, we want to spend time talking about some of these things about Jazal that don't get as much attention, which is these aspects of how he's truly trying, how he does go through a lot of growth, and he kind of just... It's a tough sitch. Yeah, and I always like to see the first laws, Joe Abercrombie's thesis on the grim, dark nature of society, and you take a character like Jazal, who... Um, is trying to grow has the position in which he has grown and come so far and just certain elements of society take that all away from him or have it rendered meaningless and that's just another layer of his whole thesis thesis on the grim dark nature of society where you have someone like Glockta succeeding someone like Jazal losing everything and everything in between so I, I think it's just more inf- interesting to frame these character profiles in that way of like what yeah. what is Abercrombie potentially trying to theorize about his society in First Law that someone like Jazal gets everything taken away from him, gets put in this tragic position. And I think to see him a, a, from a bit more sympathetic lens helps to yeah. do that. <laughs> I agree, Charles. I'm glad we approach this from this way. I'm, uh, I feel... Even if we're not uh, happy with where Jazal ends up, I'm feeling happy with where this episode of Jazal ended up. Me too. And with all that being said, I think we're ready to get into the outro. Yeah, let's get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping. All so right. So good talking about this awesome character arc. I know. So, always a good time when we get to talk about the first law world and Joe Abercrombie's writing. It's always such a privilege so looking forward to talking more first law with you in the very near future (laughs) yep always looking forward to talking more first law with you charles so yep next up it's got to be pharaoh or west right right i'm thinking it might be vengeance for pharaoh (laughs) vengeance for pharaoh i mean i don't that could be they were so close in the last poll we did they were like point like let less than one percent or something close. it was it was I think close so. i can't remember it was close so we'll see we'll see but uh for now i think we're ready for that outro yeah let's get that sweet sweet <laughs> outro music bump all right everybody thank you for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast this has been your co-host charles and dylan coming at you today with another awesome first law conversation if you like what you heard today if you want to like maybe participate in some of these votes you know we did Dogman before which is all because of a twitter vote and if you wanted to be part of that action you can go to us on twitter at the ftf podcast with the number one on the end and we are also on facebook and instagram at the ftf podcast and you can always send us an email at the ftf podcast at gmail.com now Dylan, if they wanted to support the show in a way that was super helpful for us and and free for them, and they just so happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts, what can they do? 
Toss five stars to our podcast. Just find that Friends Talking Fantasy page on the Apple Podcast app. Scroll down past any of those episodes until you start seeing stars. Once you're seeing stars, the optimal number to click to support the show would be five of them. If you have a little bit of extra time and want to go that step further, you can write us a review, and that's super helpful for a podcast like ours. But just listening is more than enough. We appreciate every one of you. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate you all just for listening to our first Law Ramblings. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.